0: I want us for just a moment, if we could, uh, in our imagination, to go back 3,000 years ago. And what I'd like for you to imagine is what it would have been like waking up early on a Saturday morning, on a Sabbath in Jerusalem. You roll over at the crack of dawn, the roosters are crowing, and you look towards the temple, and you see smoke rising. You know this is the Sabbath day, but more, more exciting than that is that it's Passover. And on this day, people came from all over Israel, bringing their sacrifices by the thousands into the temple. Every single person who is in the priesthood, every single child of the tribe that ultimately descended from Aaron, they are all hustling and bustling trying to get all the work accomplished that has to be done on this Passover. Ultimately, the priest, the high priest, as God commanded in the Old Testament, would take an offer in the Holy of Holies once a year. And what this would do would cover the sins of the people for one more year. It became a tradition. It became an exciting time, a sad time, a challenging time as the sins of the entire tribe of Israel are brought up to the surface. But a time that after it was finished was a time of celebration. Because again, the sins had been covered. Just as God had commanded. Now fast forward in your mind's eye. So the first time Jesus was ever introduced to our world. Turn with me to Luke chapter number 2. This is not a Christmas message. I know you all know how much I love Christmas. Okay. Did we listen to O Holy Night on our way here? Probably. Okay. But this is not a Christmas sermon. But but I do want to highlight this this morning because it will tie right in to where we would like to go with this sermon. Luke chapter number 2. The very first time Jesus is ever introduced to our world. I'm talking about outside of Mary and Joseph. He is introduced to a a very interesting and peculiar group of people. Luke chapter number two, look at verse number eight. The Bible says, and there were in the same country shepherds. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Shepherds. Not priests, not kings, but shepherds. They were keeping watch over the flocks, the Bible says. Flocks that were for what purpose? Well, perhaps they were for shearing For their wool, perhaps they were there for meat, for a family. But perhaps some of these sheep, if they pass the criteria, were undoubtedly for sacrifice. And of all the people that God could choose to send this great tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. He sends it to the shepherds. Now let's fast forward once more to the first time that Jesus is introduced as his real self. Now, from the time that Jesus was conceived all the way through his death and resurrection, Jesus is and was the son of the living God. But what we find here, turn with me to John chapter number one. I know we're turning to a bunch of scripture this morning, but again, the goal is to set up what I trust will be a powerful series as God gets a hold of it and his spirit leads throughout this process I believe it's something that can take the Christian who has convinced themselves that their sin is greater than God can handle and eliminate that thought from the mind. It can take the person who came into this building this morning thinking that their life is too far gone for God to reach and save and show you that in fact you are not hopeless and you are not beyond the reach of God. It's so important what we're going to be speaking on this morning. John chapter number 1, look at verse number 29, the very first time that Jesus is introduced just previous to his, his, what we call His earthly ministry. lasted about three and a half years of earthly ministry that the Son of God did on this earth. John introduces Him this way, listen closely to these words. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the king of Israel. No, he doesn't say that, does he? Behold, the great Messiah. No, he doesn't say that either. Behold, the prince of peace, the Lord of lords. No, he doesn't use that title either. What does he say? Behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I guess what I'm trying to get at this morning is that God had determined before the foundation of the world had ever been laid that his only son would be slain as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. It is going to be the song of endless ages. When we reach eternity, we will gather as this massive crowd of believers and we will with one voice lift up praise and worship to the King and what we will worship Him in is the fact that He of all people was willing to shed His precious blood as a sacrifice for us. Turn with me. One last passage and then we'll get to the meat of the sermon. Revelation chapter number 5. Revelation chapter number 5. You say, Preacher, are you sure that's what's going to happen when we get to heaven? I mean, I thought I was going to get to fish for like a hundred years straight. <laughs> Somebody told me one time I was going to get to go on this cloudy-like skateboard and just skate from one planet to the next. Somebody told me one time that I was going to get to just go to the best family reunion you've ever seen in your life. Fried chicken everywhere. Okay, we can all theorize on what heaven's going to be like, but you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather go straight to God's word and see what his description is. In Revelation chapter number 5 and verse number 6, we are told clearly what you and I will be participating in when we get to heaven. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. And I want you to listen closely to what Jesus is being specifically praised for in this passage. Verse 6. The Bible says, and I beheld. And lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Verse 7, And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the twenty elders uh, fell, or the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song. Now, listen to this. Here's what they sang Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Listen to this. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto. Uh, Him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped Him that liveth forever and ever. You know, one of the greatest titles given to our Savior, we have a lot of them and we'll be sharing some of them with you during this sermon, but one of the greatest titles of our Savior is the Lamb of God. And the question is, why is this the case? Why is it that Him being referred to as the Lamb of God is so important to us? It's because of the blood that He shed for us. And I want to spend some time, not just this morning. I imagine this is going to take us three or four weeks. This might only be the second series of sermons that I've preached this year. But I want to take the next several weeks... And spend some time on a sermon series entitled, The Wonder-Working Power in the Precious Blood of the Lamb. These, these passages of scripture that I've just read to you and these thoughts that I've just shared with you, the, the reality of them must have weighed heavily on the heart of a man by the name of Lewis E. Jones back in 1899. It was Lewis E. Jones in 1899 who authored one of the most iconic songs of our faith by simply pinning six powerful questions. In fact, let me find it real quick. Power in the blood. What page is that, Luke? Do you know off the top of your head? Sometimes I can put Luke on the spot and I can just have him read it off to me, but... Power in the blood, that is page number, it's actually there is power in the blood. This is one of those things that I meant to look up before I got up here and I forgot. Page 132, let's all turn there in our hymnals together. Page 132. You know, we sing these hymns. I love the hymns, by the way. You can go a lot of places and you can hear a lot of different things. And and there's some great music being made today, don't get me wrong. But there's something special, something special about these hymns. This one here, you can see right down there at the bottom, Louis E. Jones lived from 1865 to 1936. We know that he penned this song in 1899. He asks six questions. You, you may not, you know, we sing through this song and we don't even realize what's being said here, but what's really being said of all... I mean, we, we sang it and we've sung it and we've sung it, but really this is a song that just has six questions. And I want to point them out to you this morning. And this will serve as the, guide, the guidelines for this sermon series. Here it is, verse number one of the song. It says, Would you be free from the burden of sin? Question number two. Would you or evil... A victory win. Question number three, would you be free from your passion and pride? Question number four, would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? Question number six, or question number five, would you do service for Jesus your, your king? And question number six, would you live daily? His praises to sing. We're going to take these questions one at a time and show you in God's Word that the answer to every question is this phrase. There is power in the blood. There is power in the blood. So let's start with that first question, shall we? Would you be free from your burden of sin? Turning your Bibles to Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1. Would you be free from your burden of sin? The answer to that question for... For anyone within earshot is this simple phrase, there is power in the blood. Colossians chapter number one lays this out for us just so beautifully. If you've never been here before, one of the things that you will notice is that the Word of God serves as the foundation, it serves as the premise, it serves as the title, it serves as the subject of every sermon that we preach here. There will be times that I pull in at different experiences that I've had, different things that I have faced, funny things that my family has done, and who knows what all might happen. My wife, she often shakes her head at some of the stories that we tell. I told, the, I told him on our, uh, well, we, it wasn't actually a hay ride. I found out it's a straw ride. It was a straw ride. But anyway, we found out on the straw. Thank you for correcting that for me last night, Kurt. I found out on the straw. I was telling him on the straw ride last night. We were going around and. We were talking about different things and Emily, she, she said something to the effect of, you know, I always wonder as he starts telling these stories about our family, where he's going to go. And he, she said, there are times I just sit there and think, maybe you just need to move on to the sermon. OK, just move on to the sermon. And I told him, I said, you know, who needs a journal when you can just tell an entire church all your deepest feelings and thoughts and emotions? It's fantastic. Oh, man, I'm glad I have a bunch of friends here that I can do that with and that don't kick me out for doing it. Amen. But anyway, no, I I love the word of God. The word of God is powerful. It's quick. The Bible described itself as being sharper than a two edged sword. And so that's why we just find ourselves safely abiding in God's word for these sermons. Colossians chapter number one, asking the question, would you be free from your burden of sin? Look at verse 12 with me. We'll read down through verse 23. The Bible says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence." For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. I want to take some time considering this question, would you be free from your burden of sin? I want to think about that burden for just a second before we start breaking this passage of Scripture apart. I want to just dwell on the burden. It's something that we don't like to dwell on. I can remember when I was still carrying my burden. I remember what it felt like. I remember the the emotional struggle. I remember the weight, the spiritual weight, that my sin was on me. I remember it like it was yesterday. It's quite shocking how much sin a person can get involved in by their teen years. And I'm here to tell you, I was headed headlong into having quite a burden to carry. It was already quite heavy, even as a young teenager. Heavier than I wanted to bear for the rest of my life. And I can remember there were nights that I stayed up awake at night, couldn't sleep, tears filling my eyes because the burden was more than I could bear. And what amazes me is that people choose. They choose to carry that burden. A burden that is exhausting. A burden that is devastating. A burden that is depressing. A burden, most importantly, that God stands ready to free you from. And yet, most folks, by their own choosing, decide they're going to carry this burden around for years and years and years, and God forbid, carry it around for a lifetime, even to their death. And the question this morning is, would you be free from your burden of sin? The answer is, there's power in the blood. The first thing we see in this passage of Scripture is what I'm calling the pre-blood phase of our lives. The pre-blood phase phase of our lives. In verse 13 and 14, it's described for us who we were before Jesus got a hold of us. Verse number 13 says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. You may have walked in here this morning. You may have looked around if it's your first time here, or maybe you've been here for a little while, but maybe, maybe you're still kind of new around here. You may walk in, you may look around, and you think, wow, there's some great people here. And you know, I agree with you. There's some great people here, but I don't think there's a one of us here that are regular members who would be brazen enough to say that we're great people. You know why? Because without Christ, we know who we are. I mean, if we're just honest with you this morning, we want to put on a good face. We want to leave a great first impression. We want you to walk out this morning feeling like you have been in an oasis of God's presence. Because I believe that's what Trinity Baptist Church is. I believe we walk into this place and it's all glory to God. This is an oasis in a dry and barren land. And I love being here. I love being here with all of you. But were it not for Christ, this would be a dry and barren place. Were it not for what Christ has done for us, who would we be? The Bible describes who we would be. Still to this day, we would be chained by darkness. I remember being chained by darkness. Do you? It's a dreadful place to live. I can remember thinking there was no way out. There was no way out of this very, very dark place. That my heart and my mind had gotten to, and I was bound by it. I, I could not release myself from it. I had tried to break through the chains. I had tried to pull my way out. I had tried everything I could think of to just loose one link of the darkness. If I could just break free one link, then I could, even if I had to drag some of the darkness with me, at least I would be free. And I couldn't until the blood was applied. Say, preacher, what power is there in the blood? Let me tell you what power there is in the blood. There is the power to break the chain of darkness. I tried, I tried, I tried to break the chain, and yet I remained bound in that darkness. But the moment that the blood of Christ was applied to darkness chain, it broke and the shackles fell off, and I was free, free at last. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget the next morning. You know, people say that the birds sing sweeter and the sun shines brighter. I mean, I don't even know all that. But it's real. I mean, if you remember back to when you were gloriously converted out of darkness into the kingdom of light, do you remember what it was like? That was a glorious moment. There's no moment like it. Why? Because finally, darkness has been left behind its chains, shattered by the power of the blood of Jesus. Who are we before the blood? We're chained by darkness. Who are we before the blood? We are counted as enemies. Look at verse number uh, 13 with me again. In verse number 14, about halfway through it says, And hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Why did we have to be translated into a different kingdom? Whose kingdom were we in previous to Christ? The Bible describes it it as the kingdom of darkness. It also describes for us the fact that you and I are uh, enmity with God. That we are enemies of God previous to the blood of Christ being applied to our lives. That we live as enemies until Christ gets a hold of us and changes us and saves us. Who are we before the blood of Christ is applied? We're chained by darkness. We're counted with the enemy. And then thirdly... We were captives to sin. Why is it that we had to be redeemed through his blood? What was it that we really desperately needed? Well, the end of verse 14 tells us that even the forgiveness of sins is given to us by the blood of the Lamb. Even the forgiveness of sins. Why is it that we needed forgiveness of sins? Because you and I, previous to the blood being applied, were captives to sin. Aren't you thankful for the blood? We see here what the pre-blood phase was like for us. Previous to knowing Christ, we were chained by darkness, counted with the enemy, and captive to sin. But then the powerful blood of Christ was applied. And I want to take some time and point out to us why the blood of Jesus was so powerful. And I know I'm using the word blood a lot. And that may cause some of you to be uncomfortable. I understand that. In many churches and in many ministries, the word blood has been removed or at least downplayed. We don't want folks feeling uncomfortable when they walk into the building. And so we just won't use that word very often. But can I tell you something? And I don't want it to offend you. And I ask you, I beg you to give me time to explain. We sing about the blood here. We praise God for the blood here. We preach about the blood here, and I'll tell you why we do that. Because the power of the blood of Christ is what what our world desperately needs at a time like this. Amen. Look with me at verse number 15, and I want to show you that this was not just any blood that was shed for us. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. God set up a system the way that God designed This to work was that blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. That's that's the way God designed it. There's a reason he designed it that way. He designed it that way in order that he might send his only begotten son to spill out his blood for us as a sacrifice once and for all. Taking care of sin. That was his design. That was his plan. But this was not just any blood. It's ironic and kind of strange that we go from talking about this power of darkness, needing the redemption of sin, to this long description of who Jesus was. And then at at the end of this long description, it's about verse 15 down through about verse 20. At the end of this long description, we get to verse number 22 and it says, In the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. Why is it that we are given this this long list of who Jesus was sandwiched in between the fact that he spilled his blood and died for us. It's so that you and I would understand why his blood was sufficient and no other blood was. I want you to see it here. This was, first of all, the blood of God in the flesh. Look at verse 15 with me. It says, who is, who is the, Are we speaking about? It's Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Why was this such special blood? It was special blood because it was the blood of God in the flesh. Number two, it was the blood of the creator. Look at verse 16 with me. It says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. When Christ shed His blood on the cross of Calvary as, uh, to, to pay for our sins, this was not just any blood. This was blood, the blood of God in the flesh. This was the blood of the Creator. Thirdly, it was the blood of the Eternal One. Look at verse 17. It says, And He is before all things. He is before all things, the Eternal One. Shed His blood, gave up His life on the cross for us. Fourthly, it was the blood of the sovereign. At the end of verse 17, it says that by him all things consist. The word consists there, by the way. I know I get off on these tangents and you just got to bear with me. But the word consists there, it means to bind together, it means to hold together. You know, scientists still cannot figure out why an atom isn't flying apart, it just doesn't make sense. You've got that little nucleus and you've got those protons and those neutrons and they're spinning so fast around that nucleus. And nobody can tell us why they aren't just flying off everywhere. And then you've got this solar system. You've got the sun in the middle and you've got all these planets that are flying around at an alarming pace. Just our earth alone is is spinning like this. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles per hour. Why aren't we just flying off of this thing? The word consists there means to hold together. I love that. Just bear with me. I get excited about this stuff, okay? I love that. It means to hold together. He is sovereign. He is the sovereign one who holds everything together, and He spilled His blood for you. For you. It's the blood of the head of the church, according to verse 18. It's the blood of the resurrected one, according to the end of verse 18. It's the blood of the Messiah, according to verse 19. And the blood of the Prince of Peace, according to verse number 20. This was not just any blood, And it's why we sing about the blood. It's why we rejoice in the blood that was spilled for us. It's why we gather four times a year on a Sunday night to commemorate the blood. The last thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is that this is peaceful blood. This is blood that brings us peace with God. We talked a lot about blood this morning. Because of all of the dark things surrounding the blood around our world, and especially this time of year, it could be an unsettling topic. But can I tell you something? The blood of Jesus is different. The blood of Jesus spilled doesn't make war. It ends war. The blood of Jesus spilled, it doesn't stir up strife. It settles it. I want to point out to you the peace that comes as a result of the blood of Christ spilled out for us. Look at verse 20 with me again. It says, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that sometimes were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. The word reconciled, it means to bring near. To draw in close. You know what the Bible's teaching us here? The Bible's teaching us that by the blood of Christ spilled for us, you and I are brought nigh. We're brought close. Us who were once enemies, now we're counted friends. Us who were chained by darkness have now been broken free. Us who had our citizenship in the kingdom of darkness, now our citizenship has been converted to the kingdom of light. Us who were under sin's curse. That curse has now been abolished. How? Why? By what means? By the blood of the Lamb. Turn with me to Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5. Really want to drive this home this morning because it is so important. And I wanted to help you. There's a reason that there's a cross hanging on the back of this sanctuary wall. There's nothing special about it, that's tulip poplar. It's milled in Michigan, brought down here to in Indiana. I built all my house and what was left over was this chunk of wood here. We don't bow down to it. We don't raise it up, march through the streets with it. We hang it there. And the reason we hang it there is to remind everyone who walks in this building that Jesus loves them this much. That Jesus loves them this much, that He would go to this cross and He would spill out His blood as a sacrifice for all of us. And Romans chapter 5, verse 1 tells us exactly, precisely why He was willing to do this. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God Through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You and I, who were enemies, prisoners of darkness, bound by sin, all of that has been taken care of when Jesus spilled his blood on the cross of Calvary. It wasn't just any blood, it was special blood, it was the blood of God in the flesh. Spilled out for you and I as a payment for our sin. The question then is how does the blood get applied to my life? In the Old Testament, during the time period of the Passover, you remember one of the traditions was, and it wasn't a tradition the first time it happened, it happened the very first time because it was essential to life itself. What had to happen was the priest had to kill a lamb, or I'm sorry, the family member, the head of the family had to kill a lamb, had to spill out its blood into a bowl, and they took a a thing of reeds and they dipped it down to the blood of the lamb, and they reached up and they would take and they would cast it up over the head post of the door, and then they would take it again and they would cast it on the side post, and they take and they cast it on the other side post, and when the death angel came by and saw the blood applied, he would pass over. That's why they call it the Passover. And in this case, for you and I, dear Christian, the blood has been applied. And for that reason, the sin that we thought we were guilty of, guess what? When the blood of Christ is applied, God passes over it. When the blood is applied, the darkness that we thought we were bound by, God breaks it. By the blood of the Lamb. It's an amazing thing. The question is, how do I go from darkness to light, from bound to free? It's one word. And I don't want you to miss it because Satan would love nothing more than to convince you that it's 20 words. Or a hundred words. Or a thousand works that I can do to get myself there, to earn my spot. No, it's just one word. It's found right there in Romans chapter 5. Therefore being justified by faith faith say preacher how i've been carrying this burden for so long and i'm so tired of it and and i feel like i've gone to church i've listened i've tried to figure it out i've prayed i've been baptized i've given money i've done everything i could think to do to get rid of the burden and i still feel like i'm carrying the burden What am I doing wrong? I'll tell you what you're doing wrong. You're trying to do it. That's what you're doing wrong. Salvation is not based, as I know many of you know this morning, salvation is not based on what I do to earn it. It's based on what Jesus has already done to earn it. And what he expects and asks of me is not for me to go through hundreds of rituals and thousands of days of doing more good works than bad works. That's not what he asks. It's remarkable that all he asks is faith. For you to stop trying to get there on your own. And to finally once and for all rest in what he has done for you. The Bible states it over and over again, and it's amazing that Satan has done such a masterful job of eliminating these scriptures from the preaching of God's word. The most popular one of all, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When that prison guard asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul responded, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, in Romans chapter 5, verse number 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You know why it's so important that it be by faith and not by works? That all the glory might go to the Lamb that was slain. Remember that song that we're going to sing that we just read about in Revelation? In Revelation, the song that's being sung, had we been able to earn our way to heaven? Think of how different that song would be. The song would be more about us than it would be about Jesus. It's one of the great problems with worship today, falsely so-called. Worship has become all about me instead of about Jesus. You see, if I concoct in my mind and in my heart a means by which I can earn my way to heaven, then when I get there, I can pat myself on the back and say, see what I have done. Look at all that I have accomplished. I must have said the right things. I must have gone to the right places. I must have met the right people and done all the right things. But when salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone, only Christ can receive the glory. God has designed it this way. This is exactly, precisely the way that His Word commands it. If you're here today, and you've never rested in Christ, and you're still carrying your burden, can I just tell you, can I just speak to your heart for a moment? You don't have to keep bearing that burden on your own. Jesus literally stands ready to take the burden off of you. Why wouldn't you let? it? what tell me what joy are you currently experiencing by bearing by bearing your burden yourself are you not getting exhausted are you not worn out are you not tired of the pain that it's causing you jesus spilled his blood to make a way for the burden to be removed and the question the question that the that the songwriter asks is, would you? Would you be free from your burden of sin? Would you? And that's my question this morning. Would you be free from your burden of sin? If you long to be free, let me tell you something. There's power. Wonder working power in the blood of the lamp.